Thank you, Pastor Leo. You probably wonder why I have two Bibles today. It's because I'm not, I'm not playing around. I got a, a two-fisted sermon for you today. Now, the truth is, this one here goes way back. When I was a boy, I was, I was about 10. I remember distinctly a conversation that my dad and I had walking home from the little country church in Logansville, Ohio, where my dad was the pastor. On a Wednesday night, it was dark, and, he, and I waited so that I could be with my dad. Well, he got the church all closed up, and then we were walking back across the street over to the parsonage, and he said, would you ever be interested in preaching sometime? He said, you could give a short message on a Wednesday night in prayer meeting. And I said, remember I said to him, um, would you would write the sermon, right? I said to him, you, you would write the sermon, right? And right away, he says, oh, no, oh, no. You'd write your own sermon. So right then, I decided not for a while. It was five years, about four years, uh, five years before I did get talked into giving a message at the old folks' home on Soldier's Home Road in Dayton, Ohio. I, I figured, they asked me to preach. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll write a message that would encourage old people. So I thought Job would encourage old people. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I thought that was a good choice. So I studied Job all week in study hall. In junior high, I'm 14, right? I'm, and I'm uh, incredibly immature and needy. But anyway, I'm writing a sermon in my study halls. So I wrote down on paper everything in the world I knew about Job that might edify people who really can't hear anyway. And uh, then I went to the Soldier's Home Road. I was super nervous, trembling. My dad was patting my knee, which makes me a little bit more nervous here. It's going to be okay, buddy. You're going to do fine. Take your time. You know, take your time, he says. Never tells me that anymore. Take your time. And then I get up, and I, I give him the whole thing. I give him the whole thing. I don't hold back anything from my study on Job. You would have loved me back then. Took me six minutes. I was completely out of material in six minutes. But I've improved since then. Be nice if it wasn't so quiet in the building. When I said something like that, I already told you I had a tough week. You could be encouraging. But today, the truth is uh, that I'm, the sermon I am going to preach was written by my dad. And I've modified it only a little bit. And I wrote it down right here in this Bible way back. You see my, little, my green handwriting. That was an early... Uh, high school, maybe I was a sophomore, when my dad preached a message on 1 Peter chapter 4. See the cool little notes I made? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, from verses 12 through 19, the text today. And I wrote the notes over here. And I thought about that when I decided to preach through 1 Peter a few months ago, and I went back here and pile of books and dug out that old Bible and found that. And as I read it, I realized that, that God had really profoundly used that in my life at, at the time, and I'll tell you more about that toward the end of my message. And I thought, you know, I am just going to, I'll modify that a very little bit. 
but I'm cheating today. I'm going to preach you a message my dad wrote. Um, I've always thought the best stories, I've noticed this, I've always had my ear to the ground for good stories, you know that. I think we all do, right? Who doesn't love a great movie or a great story? And the best stories are never about people who just lived unbroken lives of ease and happiness. What fun would there be in a story like that? Isn't that right? The best stories about people who overcame great hardships, almost insurmountable difficulties. If you want your life to make good reading, you're going to have to have some obstacles to overcome. And good news, God promises that you will. But the worst stories, really, the worst stories you could ever read are stories about people who had hardships. And in those hardships or in those question marks or in those difficulties in their life, they, they didn't trust the Lord. They turned away from the Lord. They doubted the Lord. Some young people that are here today, I want to talk to you directly, young people. I know it seems like you got the world by the tail. You're young, you're handsome, you're pretty, you're smart, you're adored. I know, I know it seems like nothing can go wrong, right? But you're going to have some things happen in your life that you didn't expect, and they'll be hard. It's going to happen. And then you're going to, the things that you always thought were true, that your Sunday school teachers taught you and that your mom and dad so faithfully taught you, you're going to wonder if they're true. And there are going to be other options for you. Somebody's going to come along and say, well, this will be easier, or that'll be better, or this will be more fun, or that'll feel better. And then you will be tempted not to trust the Lord during those times. If you don't believe me, talk to some of the older people here. We can tell you that's going to happen to you. Well, I'm going to get at today what Peter has written about here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is what do you do when these pressures and difficulties and hardships come to you? Do you trust, do you entrust yourself to God? Or do you not trust God? And if you keep doing good as an act of trusting God, what the last verse is, gonna, is said here, or are you going to stop doing good and, and turn away from the Lord? People I know and love an awful lot with amazing potential for God and for, and for joy and for happiness when a little hardship or a lot of hardship came to their lives or a cluster of hardships together. They got, they got tired. They got weak. They got doubtful, they stopped entrusting their soul to God, and their stories don't make good reading. They're just the saddest things. Thank you very much, Phil. And then if you act really sick, they bring you water, wait on your hand and foot. How nice. I must sound really bad. I'm feeling a lot better. Good to be with you. So I just want to exhort you, young people and everybody, as a pastor, listen to what I'm saying, listen to what I'm teaching today, because you're going to need it. There's going to come a time when something's going to happen, girl's going to break up with you, and you will feel like maybe the end of the world. Some people even want to end their lives. You know, the fellow's going to hurt you. Life's going to take a hard turn. Something's going to happen that will disappoint you, and then you'll be tempted to doubt God. And distance yourself from God and not trust God. And so I hope you'll listen with your heart because all I'm going to do today is show you from the Bible five ways to keep trusting God even when you have to face suffering. 
Five ways to trust God in your suffering. Now, Peter starts the letter with a, with a reference to suffering. And in chapter 1 and verse 6, he says, Don't, you're going to be, have various trials. At chapter 1, verse 6, let me read it to you. Um, this now you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you're grieved by various trials. He starts out the letter by saying to the, those who received the letter, you're going to be grieved sometimes by different things that happen, various trials. Bible scholars, though, Bible students, careful Bible students, many of them believe that while Peter was actually writing this letter, the suffering intensified, and that's why when we get to chapter 4 and verse 12, it says, don't be surprised by, he doesn't say various trials, what does he call them? Fiery, Fiery trials. And, and may, many students of history and of the Bible, they believe that he's being literal when he says fiery trials. What changed from various trials to fiery trials? In the Christians of that day, Nero Caesar had decided that he wanted to do a renovation project in Rome, and so he allowed a major part of Rome to be burned. And when they began to blame him for it, he looked for a scapegoat. And in Christian history, or, I'm sorry, in secular history, it's written in a number of places in secular history, he blamed the Christians. And the Christians weren't responsible for that, but they became the scapegoats. He actually just encouraged his soldiers to discourage people from putting out the fire. And so there was this animosity, this hatred against the Christians, and intense persecution began, including actually reports of of people taking the bodies of Christians and burning them like a torch. Literal, fiery trials. And the persecution of Nero would begin, it would go off and on for years and years and years and years against Christians. It wouldn't end for many, many, many years. So this is probably what Peter's referring to in this text where he says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial which comes upon you to test you as though some strange thing were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. So before we share these five ways to press into God, to trust, keep trusting God when, when trouble comes, let me remind you of something that we talked about last week, and it's important that we remember it, and, that's, and it's this. There are generally two reasons why we suffer. Sometimes we suffer for doing good, and sometimes we suffer for doing evil. In general categories, sometimes we're not being persecuted, we're being irritating. Sometimes we're not being persecuted, we're being sinful. Sometimes we're not being persecuted, we're being ignorant. Sometimes we're not being persecuted. We're all up in arms over our personal rights, not our biblical convictions. Does this sound familiar to anybody in the room? But there will come a time when it will be easy to tell the difference. It is interesting to me that in this message of Peter, this writing of Peter to people that are going to suffer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, this is a major theme, and that is don't suffer for, for doing evil. So think of, keep those two kinds of suffering in mind as we go through these five things. Now, 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 number one, remember, this is five ways to commit yourself to the care of God in suffering, or five ways to keep trusting God in suffering. 
Number one, remember, suffering is normal for, this is what my dad said in that message, and it surprised me. Suffering is normal for the child of God. Suffering is normal for the child of God. That's why it says, beloved, loved ones, believers, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though some strange thing happened to you. I'm reading through your Bible this year. I'm reading through my Bible, and I, and I notice the blessings, right, right away. Promises of blessing. And immediately after every promise of blessing is an intense hardship. I'm going to bless you and make you a great nation, but your wife is barren. Like, I'm going to make you a great nation, but your kids are rogues and idiots. Like, did you read the Bible? That's, what, that's what's going on in there. And so, Paul, Peter, excuse me, and Paul does it too. Uh, Peter is going to remind us, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when, when it comes upon you it, to test you as though some strange thing were, to hap- were happening to you. In Acts chapter 5, when they called the apostles, they beat them, charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, and this is what it says, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. It's interesting. As in Acts chapter 5, brother of Jesus, James, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you, when you meet trials of various kinds. You can expect suffering. You can expect difficulty. When you respond rightly to suffering, this is what the scriptures are saying here. It's a means of intimacy with God. Don't be surprised by the fiery trial when it comes upon you as though some strange thing had to test you, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. This always reminds me of the Philippians passage where Paul says there's a society of his feelings, there's a fellowship of his suffering, there's a fraternity of his suffering. And if you've suffered, you know this. If you suffered faithfully as a Christian, you know this is right. Am I right? You suffered faithfully as a Christian and you turned to the Lord and not away. You know there's a special sense of intimacy that you have with the Lord when you're going through pain because he was the ultimate pain bearer. And when you're in pain, the first time I had a gout attack, I didn't know what it was. I thought my foot was out of joint. I was in Colorado. And I was ready to have my leg cut off. It hurt so bad. I, I, and, and, and I sent the family away. said they were going to go hike in the mountains. I said, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm going to stay here. And I just remember how horrified the pain was and not knowing what to do about literally not doing anything but praying. And here's what I did, here's what I did have. I had an inexplicable sense of fellowship with the Lord. And it's always, he's always been faithful that when I went through something, if I turned to him, he's real to me. Have you experienced this? You want Jesus to be real to you? Next time you go through something really sad, just turn to him, and he will be real to you. Just open your Bible. He will be real to you. I remember my dad one day had a scare about his prostate, and he's a little bit of an anxious man sometimes. And he's a go-getter. He's a doer. He's always moving. But I came to his house that day, and he was just sitting really still and quiet. And he, and he said, I'm waiting for the results. They came back. He's still living. He's in good shape. It's quite a long time ago, but I go, what did you do when you were waiting on the results of the test? And he said, I got my old Schofield Bible out. He had a red Schofield Bible that he was just like always with him. 
And he goes, I just sat and I read my Bible and I felt close to the Lord. I'm giving you the best advice I could ever give you. And that is when you were hurting or when you were sad or when you're afraid or when you failed, get your Bible out and, you, and you, it will help you get closer to the Lord. And that's a very good thing. Whatever it takes to get you closer to the Lord, there's probably something good in that for you. I honestly want my kids to have happy lives. I want them to have easy lives. I want them to be wealthy and share it with me. I want them to have like homes and warm places and invite me to stay there between Sundays and stuff. But if it meant they would walk away from the Lord, I would want them to have trouble. And I love my kids. I don't want them to have trouble. But if it meant that it would afflict them to have intimacy with the Lord. When you see suffering as normal, it's then possible to rejoice. That's why I said rejoice because you, you see that it helps in your intimacy with the Lord. It's normal for a child of God. Interesting, they say in countries where persecution is common against Christians, I'm told the persecuted church prays different than the church in the West that's not persecuted. When we have troubles, we pray to be delivered from our trouble, which I would do. When they have troubles, they pray for strength to go through their trouble. They pray for the presence of the Lord in their trouble. That's what I understand. Let your mind, let you, this is, please don't miss this. Just if you, if you miss everything else, let your trials move you closer to God. I hope you get this as a theme in my, in my uh, ministry. You, you have a choice when something comes into your life. Wealth, poverty, sickness or health, good or evil. You can decide in that to move closer to the Lord or move away from the Lord, to entrust the kingdom of your soul to him as a faithful creator and doing good, as the last verse says here, or not. And I'm saying, by all means, your life will make good reading, not if you just avoid hardship, but if that in your hardship you follow the Lord. Now, the second thing is, see suffering as an opportunity for the witness of the Spirit. How would you like to know that God's Holy Spirit was popping out of you? Would you like that? I would like that. It kind of makes me. What if people said that guy, that gal, she has? I wonder sometimes if people are irritated with me. I, you ever think of that? Like you go, no, I know people are irritated with you. I'm talking about you. I'm not, I, I, I wonder. You know, am I irritating you? You know, I, I would hate to think I'm irritating you. Um, you know, are people that you get around? You go, where are you going with this? Where I'm going is, wouldn't it be neat if you knew that you were attractive in the sense of like. You inspired people. You were humble. They loved the Lord because of you. They just wanted to be around you. That kind of a spirit-filled person. Wouldn't you just like that? I mean, I like that. I like to think people go, I'm not, I'm not feeling very close to the Lord. I just want to get around Ken Pierpont because that will make me feel closer to the Lord. Well, I like to think that was true. God says, really? How bad do you want that to be true? Is it okay if I plunge you into suffering and you desperately depend on me? then the Spirit of God leaks out of you because that's how that works. Listen to what the Bible says. This is uh, verse 14. In verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory of God rests on you. The Spirit and glory of God rest on you. The light of God rests on you. Until Paul had the experience of being stoned like this is a form of execution. And they thought he was dead, so he, they stoned him well. 
and he's in, he's in a Lycos River Valley. He goes to the next town. I think that's so, that's so manly. That's so hootspot. I just love that. I'm preaching in the next town. And he comes in town with the lumps and, and bl- bloody, uh, you know, black eye. Can you, can you imagine if you got stoned, you probably would look stoned, you know. Like not drinking stone, but like wouldn't know anything about that. But like stone stone, like executed stone. And you're in the next town and you're preaching. I just kind of love that. And then it says, what did he do? He shook the dust off his feet. Like, not going to take that rejection with me, going to the next town with my message. And then what does he do? Do you remember? He goes back through town, strengthening the saints. That's pretty awesome. I'm like, if they stoned me in the town, I might go, look, you know, I guess I've been rejected here. So I'm going to make my way around town next time. We don't, you don't need to emphasize your hatred for me by stoning me a second time. You might be better at it, you know, the second time. He, he goes, this is in Acts 13, and it says the disciples, after they were stoned, they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Stoned, almost executed, and going on their way, filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. This is, this is lovely. The missionaries that went to Haiti to help people with clean drinking water and poverty and starvation from a group that was from uh, Holmes County, Ohio. Did you read about them? Did you read about them? They were kidnapped not too long ago. They were held for hostage. The Christian mission that they were a part of was founded by a lady named Sylvia Tarnacherio. I had her come speak at our church. She was from Romania, and she didn't know you're supposed to speak like 25 or 30 minutes. And she'd been in prison for her faith for 20 years and such. So, you know, she was just like, she thought she could just preach as long as she wanted to. And uh, she held a spellbound telling stories of the persecution she suffered as a young woman in Romania. For about an hour, nobody moved. She's the founder of that mission. They went to Haiti. They were kidnapped. And then eventually, by God's grace, they, they, they prayed. They've all been released. They're back home. Now, I just believe that God will look on their suffering, their sacrifice, their, their courage, and there will be fruit from that. And here's what I believe. I believe their fruit from their ministry will be more than just if they brought water and food, education, but because they hazarded their lives because people saw Jesus in them. And what we got to do is, what we have to do in preparation for it, we have inconvenience now, we have, you know, first little, we have our culture starting to misunderstand Christians more, starting to blame Christians for things that not all Christians are responsible for. You see it, I see it. And what we, our tendency is to get all up in arms and try to get more votes than those other people and get our people elected and, and make sure nobody takes advantage of our stuff, that we still have our rights. But the scriptures are so consistent that what we ought to be doing is preaching the gospel, loving people, doing good works, and trusting God and being prepared to suffer. It's not how all Christians talk about it, but this is what the Bible, read the Bible more than Facebook, and that's what you will find. These missionaries, their, their ministry probably is more in the suffering that they did. So here are five ways to commit yourself to the care of God, to trust God in suffering. One, remember suffering's normal. That's what my dad said for the child of God. Second, see suffering as an opportunity for the witness of the Spirit. And then third, this is a little caveat. 
and this is where I changed what my dad said a little bit. I'll tell you what he said. Repent when suffering is, when, when suffering is because you're doing evil. Dad has said, repent, or, uh, suffering is shameful when it's a result of sin. Now, here's where he got that, and, it, and it's really true. If you're insulted, verse 14, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. In other words, if you're insulted for Christ's name, for doing good. But then it says, but if you suffer as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or a meddler, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Implication, if you're suffering for doing bad, you should be ashamed. So the caveat is repent when you're suffering because you're ignorant or because you're prejudiced or because you're sinful or because you're selfish or, or because you have a blind spot. In my life, sometimes I have thought that I was being mistreated and after further examination, I realized I contributed to it because of a blind spot, which I didn't see. We want to examine ourselves and have people help us. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, thief. Don't suffer because you're hurting people. Don't suffer because you're taking what's not yours. Don't suffer because you're doing evil. Don't suffer because you're taking a dog by the ears. You're meddling in another person's matters. You don't have any business talking about that, judging that. Bible says in Romans 13, 14, and the cross references are from my dad's message too. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. In Proverbs 26, this is uh, mine. Um, not mine, it's in the Bible. Uh, Proverbs 26 says something I think has been helpful to me. Like a sparrow and it's flitting, like a swallow and it's flying, a curse that is causeless does not alight. There's a little bird reference in the Bible. Did you catch it? What's it saying? Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying. Did I tell you I hit a bird with a mouse the other day? When it happened, I knew I'd have to tell you. We were killing mice in the house. When you have a farmhouse, you have mice. And I usually leave them alone because I'm just a gentle soul like that. But when Lois sees them, she wants me to kill them. So we set these traps, and then she's like, can you take the mice out? So when I take the mouse, I, when I'm in my stocking feet and it's cold, so I throw out in the yard. And then later on, I got to throw it farther away from the house because Lois is like I was dead mice laying in the yard. She'll love when I tell you all this stuff. So I went out one morning and I took a mouse and I wing it like that and it hit a bird. I thought that was the coolest thing. This little bird sitting up there minding his own business on the little spout by the barn. I go whip and he goes bunk and it hits the bird. It's like the bird like, are you kidding me right now? I just wanted to share that with you. I've totally lost track of why that has anything to do with my sermon. Some of you were drifting away. Oh, birds. Yes, birds. Because birds flit away quickly. They're hard to hit, even with mice. And this proverb is saying that if you, have, if you um, are accused of something here, make sure it's a false accusation. And that's why it makes sure the curse is causeless. And it, it won't stay, it won't land, it won't, if it, it, it won't stick to you. A causeless curse won't stick to you. Does that make sense? He's just saying, be sure you're innocent. And double check on, you know, so have your mom tell you, have your friends tell you, talk with a few elders, ask them, am I innocent or am I just wanting to be declared innocent or am I guilty? This is an important thing. Let's not suffer because we're ignorant, suffer because we're, we're uh, too quick to fight swinging the sword when we should be in prayer meeting, 
Let's not suffer for that. Let's stay until we see the whites of their eyes. And let's, let's be thoughtful. And so that's why it says, and then number four, see suffering as an opportunity to be an example to those who don't know the Lord. Uh, this is why it says there in 16 and 8 to 18. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name, for it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who don't obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will the ungodly and sinner? In other words, if you don't take sin seriously in you, how can you expect unbelievers to take sin seriously in them? Give them what, show them what it looks like to repent. If you notice people in your house don't repent much, show them what it looks like. Can I just say that with a, with a, with a tender heart to you? Dad, one of your main jobs is to show your wife and your kids, your, if you're grandpa, your grandkids, you're a man who takes sin seriously, especially his own sin. You ever heard somebody say, I never heard my dad ask forgiveness for anything. Oh, I bet that's not because he never sinned. You ever heard somebody say, oh, my mom, she never, she never asked forgiveness. And my husband, he doesn't ever admit he's wrong. My wife is, is always right and never wrong. I hate to say it. That, I mean, I don't hate to say it. That isn't even Christian. So this is a good time for us to stop and say, Lord, pressures are here. Is it my fault? That's a great thing to say. Nothing wrong with that. Is it my fault? Or what part of this is my fault? And clean up your act. C cleanse your life. Walk in holiness. Admit your sins. Ask people to hold you accountable. Be vulnerable and open and tender. That's so sweet, right? People, that's so attractive when people are just honest and like, hey, if I help me understand here. And, and then you won't be suffering for your own sin. And then the world has an example of how to deal with sin. And number five, I'm going to review first. So remember that suffering is normal for a child of God, and this will help you trust the Lord in suffering. And see suffering as an opportunity to be for the witness of the Spirit, and this will help you trust the Lord in suffering. And, accept, uh, and then uh, also um, re repent when suffering is because of your own sin, and, and it's shameful. Um, and then number five, accept that suffering unjustly is sometimes God's will, his permissive will for the Christian. Sometimes it's God's will for us to suffer. Isn't that interesting? How do we know that? Verse 19, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm a boy sitting in that church in Coltown, Ohio, on a wooden pew when my dad says this, and I got this Bible in my lap right here. What did I just do? I lost my water. And, and, uh, and when, I, when I write that down, it's like an epiphany to me. Like, God's will. Huh. I'm always praying for God's will. What's God's will? And according to Peter here, he says it might be God's will for you to suffer. Now allow me a little personal testimony, would you? Why would it be God's will? Because he's going to make it a part of his greater plan for you that's good. You know, the, the sweet out of the bitter, the good out of the bad. And when 
was someone mistreated me, and, and I was thinking about what I could do to get back at them. God woke me up in the middle of the night a couple of years, a few years ago. And it's almost like he asked me the question, how many times in the Bible do I tell you I'm your older brother? And by one way of reckoning, it's like eight times. And it's three o'clock in the morning. And as clear as I can hear the voice of God in my heart, God says, just let me take care of you. I'll be a little bit more open about this. There was a camp I used to speak at, and I'm not invited back to that camp anymore. Now, that hurt my feelings. I don't really care. I can go to other camps, you know, but it hurt my feelings. And then I thought, man, that isn't right. Well, the other day, so, you know, but then I, I said, okay, 3 o'clock in the morning, okay, I trust you, Lord. I thought some sneaky business was going on, which it was. But I, but I understand. So I said, okay, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. Be my older brother. You'll take care of me. Not too long ago, I was looking at Facebook, and I saw a camp director there who's the director of a really fine camp that has a really, really good men's conference. It's awesome. They serve steaks, bacon. It's a really nice men's conference. Lots of guys come. Three, four hundred guys come. You just preach, and they sing. It's like, man, this is fun. They put you up in a nice place, and they treat you nice. And I thought, man, I'd like it if they would invite me back there. Maybe I should call them and tell them I'm available. And then I thought, no, nah, I'll just pray. So I just stopped right then. And I said, hey, tell Drew Gardner at Bear Lake, Lord, that he should have me come back and talk to the men again. So then I just kept scrolling. And the next day, I got an email from the guy who booked speakers at Bear Lake, and they booked me to speak at their men's conference. I thought that was kind of cool. You know why that is? Because Jesus is my big brother. Even if I never speak at a camp, he's my big brother. He cares about when people are picking on me or when I'm bringing it on myself. He's like, Kenny, knock it off. So when I was a boy, after the Columbine shooting, the public became really sensitive uh, to bullying, uh, to, the, to the whole bullying problem. And But before that, I don't think they were as sensitive to it. I was because I'd experienced it over and over again. I feel like I was constructed to be a, like a target for bullies no matter what school I attended. And I couldn't figure out why that was. Part of who I am and part of who I will always be lies in that dark question mark that's down deep in my soul that started popping up in my soul when I was a little boy trying to go to sleep at night and wondering, what is it about me that's so unattractive that somebody would want to be so mean to me, kick me in the face with their boots, gang up on me and beat me up, call me names, humiliate me over and over again in more than one school? It can't be just one person. It's got to be something about me. This would kind of mess you up if you're a kid, right? This was... True about me. So not knowing what to do. I didn't even want to tell my dad because I didn't see manly. I didn't want to tell my grandpa for sure because like, he was a tough guy. I, was like, I didn't tell my Uncle Bill. Bill was from the old school. Like, Go clean house at school. They'll start respecting you. I'm like, that doesn't sound like my style at all. 
Sounds dangerous. That guy could get himself hurt doing that. So I didn't tell them. But I listened in Sunday school and church when they said, God's word has the answer for anything you're facing. And so as I'm riding the school bus back and forth to school, I start to read my scriptures and Christian books. And I, there was a track company that offered an assortment of gospel tracks for free if you order them. And you, if you promised to give them out, they would send them to you free. I thought that was pretty cool. So I ordered these gospel tracks. A big box of gospel tracks came to our house. And I, I started reading these pamphlets and gospel tracks, and I, and I don't know how to describe it, but I had a revival. I really did. I had a revival, a personal revival. And I felt a sense of closeness to the Lord. And there, some of those, one of those tracks, I wish I could find it now. I can't even quite quote it, but it said something about it, being, I am crucified with Christ. So I, I you know, so I, I don't have, a, a, I don't have to defend myself. Anyway, I wish I could quote it. I can't, but I remember riding back and forth on a bus, and I remember reading my scriptures, reading Christian books in study hall, and basically, I didn't know how it happened, but God lifted the burden of that off of me through his word. I think whatever problems you have, you may go to the Bible, find the exact answer, and figure it all out, and go, this is what happened to me, but probably not. Probably in the course of meditation on Scripture, means of grace, prayer, confession, church going, hymn singing, confession, good works, God's ways will catch up with you in ways you will not always be able to completely dissect and explain to other people, and your life will, God will help you with your, with your heartaches. Eventually, I was able to deal with my bullying better, and eventually it slowed seriously down, and then by the time I went to Moody, it went away altogether. But the pain of it st stayed with me. So what, I, what I'm getting at, I hope you're getting, is what does it say here in verse 19? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator and doing good. In other words, get some tracts, get some Bible books, get some Bible reading, believe God and trust him, keep leaning in whatever you're going through, keep doing good and trusting him, trust your soul to him when you're suffering. Never stop, never stop. And so soon the physical bullying eventually stopped or slowed, and I tried to put it behind me. But in the last 30 years of my life, God's done something kind of interesting. It's, it, it's this little side hustle. It's a little, it's a little avocation. It's a little hobby. I have gotten to speak to thousands of young people. Just me, I'm just nobody special, but I have gotten to speak to thousands of young people. And one day I was at camp and I was speaking and something caused me to tell a story about what happened to me when I was in junior high and I was trying to get home from school. I knew they were waiting on me in a little dark spot in the woods and I was too proud to go home a different way and too proud to run and humiliated. And I remember just the humiliation of being beaten and and I remember a kid catching me one time, this big moose of a kid catching me out on a basketball court and pounded my arm so hard that for weeks after that, I couldn't lift my arm. I had a big bruise. I wouldn't tell anybody about it. They gave me a name in junior high school that was just really unflattering, and everybody called me by that name. And I would hear it in my sleep. And just, but I, when I told that story at camp, here's what happened. I didn't expect it. The place got unusually quiet 
unusual. You could hear a pin drop. And then when I would point those kids to Christ, they would come to me afterward. They would seek me out and they would want to talk to me. I'd be sitting with my feet in the water. They'd come and sit down next to me and then they would say, somebody hurt me. They would say, this is what's going on in my life. That's what's going on in my life. It was God's will for my life that I go through the hardship of being bullied and I really wouldn't change it. Because now, it, God gave me a powerful testimony to help other people. And I don't know what you're going through or what you're going to go through. But I know that you can entrust yourself to God. And we want to bless you. We want you to go on your way with a blessing today. And we, so we've asked Dave Parsons to pray over you. Send you, you're the praying guy, right? Send you on your way with a blessing today. And listen, when the heart, heartache, hurt, trouble, bad news, cancer, wayward child, financial difficulty, health scare, entrust your soul to the creator in doing good. You can trust him in your trials.